Well, good morning again. I'm <clears throat> really thankful that you're here today. I'm excited to, uh, to jump into God's Word together. Um, we are in week six of uh, our summer sermon series that we're calling Half Truths. Uh, and in this series, we're, looking, we're taking a closer look, rather, at, at things that people say uh, about God, uh, about the Bible, and that they, they say them with such confidence that you would think that they are in the Bible, but as we've been discovering over the course of this series, none of the statements that we're looking at are actually in the Bible at all. And we've talked about phrases like, God helps those who help themselves. We've talked about the phrase last week, forgive and forget. Uh, we talked about the phrase from Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan for your life and talked about how God doesn't have a specific singular one thing that you could do, but there maybe are a variety of things that people can do as, as God provides options and works in our lives to, to bring about certain things. And so, and of all the statements we've looked at, or I think we'll look at this summer, uh, today's statement is one of the most commonly used statements that we're going to look at. It often comes when someone is going through some sort, some sort of adversity. Uh, maybe there's there's trouble at work or at home. Uh, there's a bad diagnosis with their health uh, or a season where they're struggling financially. Uh, maybe they're experiencing suffering or hardship or loss of some kind or, or something else. And someone wants to encourage them. And so in their attempts to encourage them, this is what they say. God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. And sometimes it doesn't come out exactly in these words where they specifically say God will never give you more than you can handle. Sometimes it comes out of their mouth in a different way. Maybe it sounds something like, be strong. Uh, you, can't, you can't let this get to you, right? Like, and there's sort of this assumed presence that God is there, that God's going to work and all of those things, right? But, and I've heard a lot of people make this statement over the years. Maybe you have heard it as well. And I want to give some grace as we think about this statement because I want, if you've made this statement or you've heard somebody make this statement, I don't want it to come across, I'm not trying to, you know, be condemning in some sort of way about t while talking about it because, I, again, I think it's one of the most commonly used of all the phrases that we're going to look at, it's one of the most commonly used. And so, though I've heard a lot of people make the statement over the years, I want to give some grace and I want to acknowledge at the beginning here that I, I'm certain that I think when people typically say these words... They are trying to be comforting. They're trying to be comforting. My, my general theory about funerals is, and I tell families this a lot, someone is going to say something that is not helpful. When they come through the receiving line, they're going to say something that's not helpful. And that the one thing that you have to try to do as the family member who's lost someone is to extend some grace to those people because they're trying to say something helpful, they're fumbling around for their words, and their words don't always come out like they intend to, but you have to hear their heart in the midst of the, their attempts to communicate something comforting to you, right? And I think that's the way it is with this statement, that most of the time when it's used, sometimes it can be dismissive, like suck it up, but most of the time it's, it's used to be comforting. And so I want to honor those attempts that I think many people make to bring comfort to people that they care about. But I also want to say, as I said in the very beginning of this series, that what we say about God matters. How we talk about God, the language we use about God matters. And the fact is that the Bible does not say this. In fact, I, th I think it's harmful 
to say this to people uh, when nothing in their life seems to agree with this idea. It's hard, it can be harmful to, to them and to their journey of faith when nothing in their life seems to agree with this idea. It's disorienting and it sends the wrong message about God. So that's one dynamic that we're kind of working with. But the other thing, and maybe more importantly, certainly more importantly, is that the Bible is full of examples of people that are experiencing things that they cannot handle. You can start at the beginning of Scripture and go all the way through to the earliest disciples and over and over and over again you will find that the story of the Bible is mostly about people whose faith in God not only does not prevent suffering, but very often it is their faith in God that actually causes their suffering. One example of this happens not too long after Jesus is crucified and ascends back to the Father, and the disciples continue to go about the work of advancing the kingdom forward. In the mid- and in the midst of spreading their message, this kingdom message, they get arrested and they are beaten for teaching and speaking in the name of Jesus. Do you remember what Luke writes about this story in the book of Acts? Listen to what he says. He says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy for suffering for the name. And when you read passages like this, you have to think, what kind of people are these? That they suffer and then rejoice because of it. Because they had considered themselves worthy to have done that for Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, after listing all the people that you know, the heroes of faith, you know them because of their faith, there's this entire list of people whose names you do not know that are also given more than they can handle. I want you to listen to how the writer of Hebrews talks about this. And as I read this, I want you to imagine real people, real people that are experiencing these things because of their faith. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some people faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. What made these people, that, whose names we don't know, giants of faith, is that they endured all of that for their faith, and they remained faithful as a result of it. And it sounds a lot like, to me, that's more than they could probably handle. Even Jesus, when he was looking ahead at what he would endure on the cross, started to be deeply troubled and distressed. And the gospel writers record this moment. I want you to listen to how Matthew writes about it in Matthew 26, 38. He says, when Jesus, Jesus said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That word overwhelmed means to be very distressed. It's to have this, this inward pain, right? This deep inward pain. And to be in a place where this deep inward pain uh, is, is the kind of hurt maybe that you would just kind of feel all over. It's just over, it's overwhelming. 
You get the idea, right? Like you see these examples and you can't help, I can't help, but wonder as you read, this is just a, a few examples. I can't help but wonder how the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle, ever became a phrase at all, quite honestly. It makes me wonder that the peop- wonder if the people who started first using this phrase even read the Bible. Because an accurate reading of the Bible will show that God's people have always experienced more than they were physically or emotionally or mentally able to handle. In fact, if you follow Jesus, suffering, we learn, sometimes is just part of the deal. It just comes with it. And so where did this idea come from? Where did the idea that God will never give you more than you can handle come from? How did it become a thing that people started saying? Well, there is also a scripture that sort of is rooted in this idea, and it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to listen to what it says. Paul says this. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, the next part, so you can leave that up there, but if you continue reading, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The first thing I want you to know about this verse is that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And Corinth is a port city. There have been a lot of traffic due to the trade that happened in the city of Corinth, uh, which means people are in and out of town, which means there's a lot of people in this city. And these factors contributed to the development of a culture, a culture of greed and idolatry, of arrogance, of selfishness, of sexual promiscuity. Corinth was a place where people went to pursue temptation. It's an ancient sin city, you might say. And in this, this is the context where Paul is writing these words. So what is this verse saying and what is this verse not saying? Paul is talking to a church about how to think properly about when they experience persecution, how to, or temptation rather, how, how to think properly about that. Which is relevant, right? Which is, it's relevant for every follower of Jesus, but particularly in a place like Corinth. And Paul is saying, no Christian gets to say when they are tempted, yeah, I sinned, but I had no choice. There is always a choice, Paul says, and there is always a way out. And the reason that this is so important is because we... And the Corinthians, apparently, could, can justify in our minds the sin that, it, that we are engaged in, can't we? When we want to sin, we can find all sorts of ways to excuse doing whatever it is that we want to do. Sometimes even dragging God into it, right? But God wants me to be happy. This is why I need to do this thing. So Paul is saying, look, there is an enemy And there is something going on in the spiritual realm that you and I do not see. And how that plays out in our physical lives is that we are tempted. We are distracted. We are persuaded down a path, drawn into the trap that the enemy has laid for us. And we all know this feeling, church. Right? This would make me happy. This would make me feel good. This would help me somehow. I feel like I have to do this. I feel like I must do this. And what Paul wants us to know is that there is always a choice when it comes to sin. 
This passage in 1 Corinthians 10 is about temptation. More than it is, not, it's about temptation, not about suffering in that kind of way. God will not let you be tempted and experience in your temptation no way to get out of it. There is always a way out from sinning. And at no time will there be a time when we have, been, when we, when we have to be overcome by sin and feel like we have no option to get out of that, that situation that we're in. That's what this passage is about. But there will be times when we are overcome by the heaviness of life. When we experience suffering and pain and sadness and grief and loss and struggle. These things don't go away just because we step into the waters of baptism. As I heard someone say at one, say at one time, the waters of baptism didn't drown the devil, right? The devil is still actively working to pursue you and me and people in our world. Just because someone gives their life to Jesus does not guarantee a pain-free Life, that's not an option outside of resurrection. But at the same time, I need to say, I need to make clear that God is not the one who distributes the pain. God is not up in heaven going, that person gets cancer, and that person gets death, and that person gets this, right? That's not the way that it works, which is one of the major problems with the phrase, God will not give you more than you can handle, because it suggests that God is the one dishing out your suffering, Listen to how Paul describes God to the same church in Corinth in the second letter that he wrote to them. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Paul is very intentional if you look at those words. In how he describes God. God is not the father of evil and the God of all pain and suffering. God is not ordering your suffering. The suffering that you and I experience is simply a consequence of living in a broken world. What God is, Paul says, is the father of compassion. The God of all comfort. God is with you in your struggle and will not leave you. And it's not just that. Right? He says that when God comforts us, we receive this comfort from God, but God also works through us to give this comfort away to other people in the same way that we have received it from God. But then just a few verses after this verse, Paul is also very honest about his situation. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. First of all, does this sound like a person who believes that God will never give you more than you can handle? No, not at all. In fact, it sounds like the opposite. He says that things were far beyond our ability to endure. And he doesn't want us to be uninformed about this. This is the reality that he has experienced. The truth is that suffering is going to happen. Life will involve hardship. It is an inevitable part of the human experience. And while suffering is a fact, hear me, it can also be used by God. This is, I believe, a better way to talk about our suffering. 
You will experience seasons that are more than you can handle. But God will help you endure whatever it is that you experience. And not only will God help you endure it, if you're open to it, God will use your situation and your circumstance to work in your life in such a way, in the lives of people around you in such a way, that good can end up happening and being experienced. Look at the very next verse in verse 9. He says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. One of the ways that God uses our pain and our loss and our struggle, one way that God helps us is by shifting the focus off of us and on to Jesus. Moving from self-reliance to God-reliance. But we struggle with this, right? We struggle with this. Maybe you can relate to this picture. If you look closely, this man is carrying trash that I imagine is on its way to be recycled or taken to a dump somewhere, right? And as I, I, as I went looking for a picture of someone carrying an enormous load, I, I, I landed on this one, and I feel like this is us most of the time. Too often when we are dealing with something, we just keep piling it on, carrying it with us a little higher, a little longer, a little further. One day maybe we'll let go of it. One day maybe we'll deal with it. But today we're just going to put it back there on our back and just power through. And I want you to hear me say this morning that your sinful flesh values you being dependent on yourself. The enemy wants you to pretend that you can just hunker down and power your way through whatever it is that you experience. And you know this is true, right? The enemy whispers into our hearts things like, you can't tell this to anyone. Nobody cares that much. It isn't that big of a deal. You just need to get over it. You can't trust anybody here. This isn't the place for you to bear your soul to anyone. Right? These and other lies are the things that the devil wants you to believe. That you just need to suck it up and power through and keep piling it on the back and keep walking ahead. But I want you to look again at verse 9 at how Paul talks about his situation. We felt we had received a sentence of death, but this happened, this realization of our suffering of our circumstance happened that our eyes might be opened and we might realize how we have relied on ourselves instead of God who raises the dead. He admitted this to the entire church that he's writing to, that he's struggling, that he experienced struggle. And, and part of our problem, if I might be so bold to say, is that we don't do what Paul did. Instead of trusting one another to carry our burdens, we want to fix it. Or we just want to try to suck it up and bury it somewhere in our heart. And I have to say that when we do this, when we, when we believe that we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't share with people, we, we buy, we're buying into the lie. And I'm not saying that we have to reveal everything to everyone. 
Some things are not for everyone else. But I know for certain that you and I were not meant to carry many of the things that we carry alone. And this is part of why, just one reason why church matters so much. Because the primary way that we experience God's love and care is through the body of Christ. Paul continues talking about this in the very next verse, in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, He has delivered us from such a, from such a deadly peril, and, the, and will, He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Paul says that in seasons where you are experiencing more than you can handle, God's grace to you comes to you through God's people. Let me say that again. In seasons where you are experiencing more than you can handle, God's grace to you often comes to you through God's people. And so many of us have experienced the truth of this verse. That God gives grace and often it comes through God's people. They show up, they call, they text, they bring food, they remember your situation, they remember an anniversary of an event that happened in your life, they pray, they speak words of truth into your life, into your heart, they sit with you. God has provided the church to be an instrument of grace, that when you experience more than you can handle, God has designed things so that we have a community of people to walk with us. And when church is happening, when church is happening as it was intended, this is how it works. That the scars and the wounds that all of us carry around, that we often hide and pretend don't exist, become the exact thing that God uses to unleash the Spirit's power in our midst. The scars and the wounds that we carry around that we often pretend don't exist, hear me, when we trust that God can do something with our suffering, our pain, our struggle, become the exact thing that God uses to unleash the Spirit's power in our midst. What I'm saying is that if you have suffered, you have a gift to offer someone else. If you have experienced pain or struggle or loss, you have a contribution to make to someone else's life that is experiencing or will experience something similar in the future. Not from your strength, but from your scar, from your limp, from your wound. The reality is that if you look at a scar on your arm or your leg or your face, a scar reminds you that you survived it. A, a scar reminds you that you, you lived through something. And most of the time the scar is little. Some of us have physical scars on our bodies, though, that are not little. And when we see those, we are reminded, man, that was a hard season, but I'm in a different place today. And the same thing is true in, in, in a spiritual reality, right? That when we go through and experience hard things, we can look back and our perspective is different today than it was at the moment we were living through that situation. <clears throat> and what I know is that people who are willing to share their suffering together experience a kind of community 
that does not happen among people who only talk about their victories and their successes. Listen again to what I said. If you show me a group of people who only get together and talk about what's going right in their lives, who only talk about their victories and their successes, and you show me a group of people who have suffered and struggled and endured some hardship together, I will show you which way the scale balances in terms of the strength of those groups, right? Because any time a group of people has trusted each other enough to bear one another's burdens, to share their heart with each other, they will experience a kind of community that is what God imagined for the church to experience. Not that people were coming in to a gathering and acting like everything is okay, but that they were honest and transparent and they said, we don't want you to be uninformed about my week this last week. It was really hard. Brothers and sisters, I need to let you know that I, I endured difficulty yesterday or two weeks ago or last week. Right? That, that, that's really more the reality. If you find me a group of people who have endured hardship and suffering together, what I will show you in, in that is that that is a group that is modeling what community is actually supposed to be. And the reason it is this way is because in moments of weakness, when we have the courage to admit our weakness, we realize that we can't do it on our own and that we need other people. And that's when strength begins to happen. That's when God's spirit begins to work. We are a hospital full of people that have stories to tell. We have testimonies about how miraculously, by the power of the Holy Spirit, one our hurt and our pain was transformed by the power of God, that God used it to help us realize that we were not the solution, but that Jesus Christ was the solution. Jesus who has conquered death and has the power to bring light into dark places. This morning, I want to end by just speaking a word of blessing over us that reminds us of the power of Christ that is at work within us. Jude the book of Jude says it this way, to the, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God that meets us, that is personal, that joins us in the, the pit of life, the moments of valley that we experience. We're thankful for the body of Christ that you've given us to be a carrier of grace for us and for our lives. We pray that you'll continue to cultivate and build a culture here among us as this people who are willing to trust one another and share and bear one another's burdens, willing to surround each other when we are struggling, to show up, to call, to sit with each other, to pray. And that we'll know that those things are the work that you call us to do. To be for one another an extension of Christ in this world. And we know that when we do that, when we live that way, it will seem so odd to the people around us because our world is just saturated with, our culture is saturated with this idea this individualism that is everywhere, that it's up to us and our own strength and our own power to do it, to fix it, to make it better. I pray this morning that you will break some hearts in this room who have been holding on for a long time, unwilling to, 
to acknowledge that they are struggling. I pray that this morning that you will open eyes to help people see, help us see the ways that we have been continuing to pile things on our backs, powering through, not asking for help, convincing ourselves due to the lie that the enemy has told us that we just need to suck it up because nobody cares. I know this morning that someone in this room needs to ask someone else to pray for them so that their heart might be encouraged and their load might be lightened. And so I pray, God, that you will work in us today and in the days to come to continue to cultivate and create the kind of community that is honest and open about our situation, that realizes that we cannot do it on our own, and the solution is Jesus Christ, the only one who has conquered death and has power to bring light into the darkness. To him be all majesty and glory and power and authority. And the church said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to continue to sing a song. I would encourage you to Respond to God in the way that you need to this morning as we sing.